Let's continue worship with a reading from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. On the evening... On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Take time to greet those around you and like Christmas. Morning. Everyone doing good? Uh, well, welcome. The thing I love about, I think, yeah, we got lights. Okay, cool. Um, the thing I love about Alpha, uh, that it's going to start in the summer, it's starting in June, um, is it's for, it's for you in this room who don't buy any of this stuff. Anyone want to fess up to that? I don't buy any of this. It's for you. I didn't, I didn't think anyone would raise their hand. Yeah. I know you're out there. Um, but uh, that's going to happen in this summer. And actually, even the series that we're in right now, it really has you in mind. Um, we're doing a conversation walking through the idea of doubt. Uh, and of course, that's not just something uh, non-believers have. It's something that Christians have. And that's kind of what we're kind of pointing out, really, in this conversation. Uh, we're talking about the disciples um, in the time in between. What's that? Well, the time in between when Jesus died... And when he rose again three days later, he had three days of like deep, deep disappointment and despair. These dudes, these disciples had risked their entire life on this crazy dude and he died. And in that moment, all their hopes crashed to the ground. That's time in between. Time in between. That's how many, where many Christians live their lives for a long period of time. You may be in time in between for daggum five, ten years, feeling like the sun's never going to rise again, feeling like you're stuck in winter. In summer, spring's never going to come. Man, what do we do as Christians when we find ourselves in time in between? Where we don't feel the emotions, where things don't make sense, where I don't buy it, I'm struggling with this, I don't want to sing that song, pastor. <laughs> what do we do with that? So we're just sitting with this as a, as a group of friends, that this is a reality in the Christian life. And if you miss that, if you miss that there may be times where your feelings and emotions aren't overflowing with roses and goosebumps and stuff like that, we think Christians maybe should live flying on cloud nine. If you 
forget or fail to see that there are times the dark night of the soul, what they call it, the church fathers called it. If you fail to see that, then when that time comes, you'll, you'll, you'll falter. You'll, you'll grow disgruntled. You'll, you'll think God's deceived you or something like that. So what's super fascinating is despite uh, the fact that we think ancient people believed everything, right? Like they think a chariot took its sun across the sky. What we find is the disciples, the journey from belief into the fact that Jesus rose from the dead was full of doubt, full of doubt. It's in scripture, man. It's just right there in the book. Like dudes are, what we read today, they're hiding in an upper room because of anxiety. Overwhelming anxiety had flooded their systems. And so they locked the door and they went into a room and they're hiding in uncertainty and doubt and frustration and mistrust of others. Even their good friends who come to them and say, I think he's alive. They said, quit talking crazy. Let us grieve, right? We tend to think it was super easy for them to believe stuff like this. And God doesn't use doubters and people that question things. But over and over, I've just been pointing out to you, these guys struggled with this, like embarrassingly struggled to believe this stuff. The disciples, the disciples, the dirty dozen, right? Like the guys that God would use to transform society. Dude, they, they overthrew the Roman Empire in 300 years. Dude, the guy that the Roman Empire crucified, dude, Romans, they were really good at squashing religions and rebellions, right? They didn't put up with that kind of nonsense. So they crucified this guy. They think, we're done with that. 300 years later, the entire Roman Empire turns Christian. What? He used these guys, these slow to believe, anxious doubters, right? We think there's some kind of superhuman cap, flaps, caps, what am I trying to say? Capes flapping in the wind, right? We do. We think those are the kind of guys that levitate into prayer meetings. And here they are, full of doubt and anxiety. One of the main points of this whole series is that the people that God used to birth the church, man. Like today, Christianity, largest religion on the face of the earth. Right? It's just the truth, right? The guys God used to start that thing right here, full of doubt, full of anxiety, hiding and fear. This This is a crazy idea. They're just like me and you. That's bizarre. They are full of anxiety, full of doubts, uncertain. They had time in between, just like us, where everything seemed lost, right? Where nothing was happening. We're just kind of going through the motions, right? Where the, or the waves are crashing over their heads of adversity and despair, and they're losing hope, and anxiety is over. I mean, can anyone relate to that? Anyone want to fess up to that? Feel like the waves are crashing over your head? You're like, am I going to get out of this? That's where they were, right? Doubt clouding their mind to the point of paralysis, to the point of paralysis. Many of us are living in states of paralysis because of anxiety and fear that we're dealing with in our hearts and lives. And thus, we never get in the game. We stay on the bench. We start believing nonsense like God can't use people like me. He uses guys that have it all figured out. Let me just, this relieves some pressure right here. I know some, not all of us go to church. No one has it figured out. Is that surprising to you? Like, Dude with a mic included. No one has it figured out. Like we're all just trying to take one step forward. We do two steps back and one step forward. Trying to believe. Trying to wrestle through life the best we know how. Dude, no one has it figured out. What we're talking about is this time that we struggle. And some Christians don't feel like we have permission to struggle. You know what that creates? It creates a room like this where everyone lies. Everyone comes to church to put on a show. You'd think some people like the daggum royal family, the way to go to church. Like they were given death threats on the way to car. And they're in church. Everyone, everyone smile and wave. Put a show on for the peasants, right? Dude, that's what it creates. 
That's what it creates. When we come to an atmosphere where we can't, well, you, you, can't, you can't ask questions. Don't ask a legitimate question. Just turn your brain off and believe. Dude, it creates nonsensical religion. I can't buy into that. I don't want to be a part of that. Like, I got questions, man. I, got, I want to know things, right? And here, the most fascinating thing in this whole story is in Matthew 28, where Jesus, so they're all struggling with doubt. They don't know, like, you know, people tell them, like, no, he's not alive. He died. We saw him die, right? And here Jesus shows himself to them in the flesh. It says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some of them are like, ah! you know, probably just a hallucination. Some of them are like, they're looking at him in the face. And they're like, no. Right? Told you guys not to eat that pizza, right? <laughs> we said, dude, we, last week we, we pointed out something really important. We sat with the psychology of doubt. It was very intellectual. It was like a college lecture. I didn't get half of it. I didn't even understand what I was talking about, right? Psychology of doubt, right? And we pointed to something really important. We said that modern people like to pretend that faith and doubt is only about facts. Only about verifiable physical evidence. Facts, logical, verifiable physical evidence. So if the evidence points to a truth claim, then I'll believe. But if the evidence, if the facts don't point to that, then I won't believe. We act like we're brains on a stick. And that's all we are. We just have to be intellectually convinced of something. And those are the only grounds for living. We pretend that we live completely rationally. (laughs) That's just not true. (laughs) You, You don't live completely rationally. And if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about right? Or if you're married, you, or if you have a pulse, you know what I'm talking about. We like to ignore things like your emotional state or the fact that you're hungry, right? Or we like to ignore things like past trauma, past wounds. We like to ignore things like personal vendettas, right? Or whether or not you've slept in the past 40 years or the state of your digestion or your worldview. That's when 100% shaped by your time and culture. We ignore things like that. We ignore things like values and beliefs. Do you know that your values and beliefs will fluctuate depending on those things, on the state of your digestion, whether or not you've had sleep, hangry, tangry, right? All these things will dictate your beliefs and values in the moment. Like we like to ignore facts like that and think, well, we just are all rational. It's just not true, right? Tim Keller has this really funny example of how we like to ignore facts, right? He said, say you have an eccentric friend, like just eccentric friend. He watched too much Walking Dead. And so now he's like, you know what? I'm a dead person. Like, no, you're not a dead person, Frank, talking to you right now. No, I'm dead. He insists it. I am the Walking Dead. I'm a Daggum zombie, walking around, I'm dead. No, you're not, Frank, you're alive. Yes, I'm dead, you're not dead, okay. All right, listen, Frank, if I prove to you that you are alive, will you stop talking nonsense? Yes, fine, okay. So you go get five medical journals, you get five medical college textbooks, you all open them up on the big table, got five books in there, and you say, dead people don't bleed. It's like a fact, right? 24 hours, you're not going to believe. All right, so you open them all up to the books, and it says that, and then you take a thumbtack, and you stick them right in the finger. You kind of enjoy it, right? You stick them in the finger, and you say, look, dummy, you're bleeding. Now, what does that prove? He's looking at his finger. He looks up. That proves that all medical science is wrong, (laughs) right? That's the kind of crazy irrationality that we find in many people's beliefs and values. And you know what's true, because you got weird friends, right? So, okay, well, that's kind of a silly example. What about you? What about you? This is a great week, gorgeous. Anyone outside this week? Dude, I spent, I just want to be outside. It's beautiful, it's gorgeous, right? Beautiful days. Some of you have every comfort you can imagine in life. 
Like you woke up in a soft bed. You got so many clothes. You just took like 15 minutes to pick out your clothes. You got so many. I didn't even know what I'm going to wear today. Right? Right? Had an espresso. Drove to work with a seat warmer on just because you can. Three square meals. You even went out to eat this week. Some, you had someone else cook for you this week. Right? And I'm like, hey, how was the week? Oh, it's horrible. All my coworkers are idiots. Right? A stupid neighbor won't cut his grass. Got in a fight with my wife, right? They were out of my favorite creamer at Starbucks, right? (laughs) Really? Because all the facts, all the verifiable evidence just pointed to the fact that you are living in prosperity and abundance. See, there's something else dictating how you interpret reality, isn't there? There's physical evidence. That's a big part of the puzzle. But your inner disposition... Like right now, this manifesting itself in your heart, when I'm up here dancing around and talking, you're like, this guy doesn't know anything he's talking about, right? Your inner disposition will inform how you interpret the evidence. We don't like to acknowledge that. We like to think, no, it's all about the facts. Dude, you, your inner disposition will cause you to ignore facts right in front of your face. Because you'll say, that won't happen. In reality, y'all, we construct, we construct reality out of a jumbled assortment of facts, verifiable things, and a jumbled assortment of our beliefs and values and experiences, right? See, you're constructing reality out of facts, yes, but also from all of your experiences in life and your emotional state, right? And so why was life horrible? Why was life horrible for my imaginary friend? Well, in reality, it could be a shocking combination of things, couldn't it? Maybe, maybe the fact that your week was horrible despite that everything outside was pointing to a beautiful week, maybe the fact is that you have childhood trauma, you've not dealt with. Maybe your mom was verbally abusive. Maybe your spouse died 10 years ago. Maybe your fiance left you five years ago. Maybe the accident that happened 10 years ago took away your hobbies. Maybe you got in a fight with your friend and you're bitter. And that's why your week was horrible. Maybe it's the fact that your dad was harsh and demanding. So no, I'm not interested in the heavenly father. Maybe it's the fact that the enlightenment taught us that only the physical is real. And dead people don't come to life, therefore Christianity is fraudulent. See, last week was simply us wrestling with the fact that you construct reality out of your internal dispositions, your experiences, not just the facts. And those internal realities, those uh, cultural, that are formed by our cultural moment, right, your experiences, they are orienting you with a bias towards facts. Primarily the supernatural doesn't happen, right? And doubt and belief in any claim in any person uh, in Jesus is a complicated thing. That was the whole point last week. Now, one of the things I'm trying to show you in the Bible is that it's actually full of examples of people who doubt and question and have uncertainty about God. So let me just give you a few surprising examples that were pointed out to me this week. Then we'll get to Thomas. Then we're going to dunk people. It's going to be awesome. All right. Few surprising examples of doubt in the Bible. You guys ready? Want to get in the Bible? Okay, cool. A couple people. Here we go. Uh, number one, John the Baptist. You ever heard of that dude? He was a weirdo. Uh, he was Jesus' cousin. He baptized Jesus, right? With a voice from heaven. Remember that bit? Baptized Jesus, voice from heaven. This is my son. You know what's interesting? In John 12, there's another instance of a voice from heaven speaking, and some people hear it and say, nah, that was just thunder. Interesting. Huh. Same experience. Two completely different interpretations of the experience. So John is uh, put in prison. And, and in prison, John the Baptist, the dude that looks at Jesus and says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, has a faith crisis in prison. 
And he sends his disciples to ask Jesus. Dude, he sends his disciples. He says, hey, listen, are you the one or should I be looking elsewhere? It happens. What is that? It's a faith crisis. He's asking Jesus, look, I thought you were the guy. And there's some subtext here. What he's really asking is, are you going to bail me out of jail? Like, are you going to get me out of this thing or should I be looking somewhere else? Dude, John has a moment of doubt about Jesus, the guy who God used to prepare the way for the Lamb of God. Why? Because of his placement, because of his experiences in the moments. They were causing this man of great faith to have doubt and begin to question and have uh, doubts about who Jesus was. Uh, another example, the Psalms. Now, the Psalms are so full of examples of this. You just pluck one out. So I just plucked out 69. So I'm going to read it to you, okay? Psalm 69, little selections in here. Here it is. Here's David. This is what he says. This is phenomenal. He says, I sink in deep mire <laughs> where there is no foothold. So we hear language like that and we're like, why the Bible so weird? But there's that one time that you were trying to get your footing. Remember how you slipped and it was super embarrassing and you fell? Man, there's something really actually uh, meaningful about having a solid foothold in life, isn't there? And there's something actually really profound about what he's saying. He says, I've come into deep waters and the floods, God, they're sweeping over me. You ever been in the ocean? And you just hit that perfect sequence where the waves hit you, blah, 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 right? And you're trying to get up, blah, 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 they hit you again. And you're like, I'm going to die. Okay. This is where he's at. This is where he's at. In fact, he says, I am exhausted of crying so much so that my throat is parched. Like my ears got no, my eyes got no tears, right? My eyes, they grow dim. For what? I'm just waiting on God. He's nowhere. Where are you? He says, let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, God. Part of me is like, chill out, dude. You're going to be fine, right? <laughs> Drama queen, right? The deep is going to swallow me up. I know we're Christians and everyone, everything's perfect in your life. And no one can relate to feeling like the deep is going to swallow you. Like you're never going to see the light of day again, right? But here it is in the Bible. See, when we feel like the deep's going to swallow us, you know the one place we don't go? Church. <laughs> right? Because all them plastics got it figured out. So I just, I'll just be miserable in my despair. And dude, you don't let this miss you. This is in the Bible. Like, you know, above this psalm, you know what it says at the top of this psalm? A psalm of David. That's a hymn to be sung. Dude, this is a daggum worship song. This would not make it in our cut. Can you imagine singing this, right? It's over me. I have no foothold. I feel like I'm going to die. Hallelujah. Right? Like, it wouldn't make it in church. We're not going to, I'm going to be like, Matt, let's, you know, let's not sing the song about the mud and the, the, drought, the throat drying up, right? Apparently, Apparently, the God of the Bible thinks it's important that you give voice to your doubts and fears. Amen. Apparently, the God of the Bible thinks your worship should be honest. Not some frothy, fake, let's get together and sing lies, right? But you should be honest. The, apparently, the God of the Bible thinks you should bring that into church. Like, that's legitimate. Rather than bringing, being in isolation and letting, letting anyone know that you're struggling. This is what we see. This is a song they sang, okay? 
We don't have to put on the plastic face and I'm fine and be fine and hashtag blessed and smile and wave, right? We already said, look, it's not, you're losing something there. Like you're losing something if that's your church experience, right? Okay, then how about this one? Jeremiah, book of Jeremiah. Do you know Jeremiah? He's a prophet, like big time prophet, like, you know, big hitter in the faith, right? And there's this sobering passage in Jeremiah 20 and the prophet cries out to God. You know what he says to God Almighty? He says, you have lied to me. Dude, that's in the Bible. The prophets. This is not like a minor league. In fact, there's there's like minor prophets and there's major. He's a major prophet. And he says, you have deceived me. And I was deceived, God. Now I'm walking in, he goes on to say, I'm walking in obedience and look what's happening to me. I'm being mocked. I'm being denounced. People are plotting my downfall. I'm a mockery to all my friends, right? Dude, I can't even tell you how many people think I'm going to follow Jesus. They have an encounter, maybe supernatural, right? Their hearts are lifted up. Their life's filled with joy. And as soon as hard times hit, as soon as they realize following Jesus has a cost, they feel deceived by God. Like I thought this was going to be all like roses and goosebumps. Lord, what's going on? And what happens? Dude, they're filled with doubt and uncertainty, right? And then we come to church and we're shaking our head. Everyone, oh, black sliding is full of doubt, right? right? And here Jeremiah the prophet is, I mean, he's saying, God, you lied to me. I didn't sign up for this. He's saying, this doesn't seem right. Listen, y'all, there's going to come time in your Christian life where it's not going to seem right. Where you're going to think, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this heartache. I didn't sign up for this difficulty. I didn't sign up to feel like I'm losing my mind and my parenting. Or that my marriage is falling apart. This is not what I thought it would look like. And here it is in the Bible as if God is just saying, tell me. Just tell me about it. Like if you feel like I'm lying to you, just tell me about it. Man, pour it out to me. Bring it in. Like you got all the doubts, all your fears, all your stuff. Bring it in, buddy. Like you guys feel that in this? Maybe not. I feel that. It's like an invitation of God himself saying, I know you ain't got to figure it out, bro. Welcome to the club. Like, bring it in. Don't hide your doubts from me. This is, he's, dude, he's fundamentally questioning the character of God. You see, so many of us, when our friends start doing that, we're like, no, 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 no. no don't do that in small group. And here he is in the Bible saying, I feel like God's deceived me. Right? I don't think any of us would have the guts to say that to God. But here it is in the Bible. He is shockingly honest. And yet he continues to obey. Cool thing about Jeremiah, he's like, man, if I, don't, but if I shut up, your word's like a fire in my bones. Such a good line right after that. So there's only a few examples, y'all, of God using, like, like powerfully using, like King David, the anointed one. Right? Uh, Jeremiah, all, all these guys, powerfully using people who struggled with doubt, who gave voice to it who didn't hide it, like they, were, they brought it to God. And this is what we see Thomas doing in John 20, right? We're wrapping it up. We catch up with the disciples in their time in between. The ladies had claimed Jesus rose from the dead. This is the scripture we read at the beginning, right? And it's later that day, it's Sunday, Sunday evening, and the disciples, they're afraid, like we said, they're locked up in the upper room. And Thomas got the short straw, so he was out getting five guys. And, and Jesus, Jesus shows up. And he has a nice little moment with the disciples like we read, and then he leaves. And then Thomas comes back with bags dripping with oil, you know, Cajun fries. Mm. <laughs> and everyone's flipping out, but not about the fries, right? They had apparently, like, got some, I'm just kidding about the fries, that's not in there. Uh, they had apparently 
all the guys apparently found some shrooms in a field and got high while he was gone, had a group trip, and hallucinating. This wishful thinking convinced themselves Jesus was alive again. And Thomas is flabbergasted. No one even ate the fries, right? They got cold. Just kidding. Okay. Let's get up. Let's move on from the fries. Um, and so Thomas, like, is anyone familiar with Thomas in the Bible? Everyone, what's it called? Dude, he gets such a bad rap from this one moment, right? And for the rest of eternity, doubting Thomas. Dude, all he's asking for is what the other guys got. He says, listen, I need evidence. I'm not going to go along with some mindless group wishful thinking, right? I'm not a gullible fanboy. I don't believe everything I hear. Proof's in the pudding. I need to know for myself. Like, I love this guy. This is totally reasonable. I respect Tommy. Talk is cheap. Show me the deal. Many of you right now aren't Christians because talk is cheap. He says, show me the deal. I'm not just going to believe it because everyone else says I can believe. He says, listen, unless I put my hands in the marks, I ain't going to buy into this, right? And for all of history, doubting Thomas, he gets a bad rap. Let's just think about it for a second. What had just happened to Thomas? What had just happened to him? He saw, presumably, he saw the death, the violent death of his fearless leader when he was crucified. Now, there are only a couple at the foot of the cross, but it's presumable that they were watching from a distance. So listen, I've never seen that kind of death. I've seen death. Most of you have seen death. Like I've been in a room where someone's close to death. It's not fun. Most of us have at least been to a funeral. But I've never seen a beloved friend brutally beaten. I've never seen that. I've never seen a beloved friend crucified. I've never seen a mentor have nails driven through his hands and speared in the side until he bled out. I've never seen that. I've never had to endure stuff like that. Y'all, this is next level trauma. This is like life-changing PTSD type stuff. And Thomas, dude, he'd risk his whole life to follow Jesus. He'd quit his job, followed this guy around for three years, and now it's a dead end. He's thinking this was wasted. Our leader is dead. He's emotionally sorting out the past three years of his life that he had followed this guy around. The first things he thinks about when someone says, Jesus is back to life, he just thinks about the wounds. He says, I saw it go down, man. I saw the blood. I saw his body pierced. And Thomas says, he's going to have to show me those wounds for me to believe. That seems to be what's happening here. It was fresh in his mind. And it just makes me think, y'all, what happens when we experience deep, deep disappointments or heartache? or violence, or injustice? What happens when we are exploited? What about when something violent happens to us or someone we love? I pray no one has ever had to see someone they love endure the kind of violence that they had just witnessed. Anyone had a friend murdered? Ah, yeah, even seeing something stolen from you is violating, it's horrible, right? right? Can you imagine quitting your job following this dude around this roller coaster ride was next level for thomas and he's thinking dude our guy's been killed by the state it was grotesque it was horrible nightmarish death dude talk about trust issues right you fought, you left everything to follow this guy and it didn't work out thomas is not going to trust anything now i'd be more doubting than thomas you kidding me i'd be saying dude i knew this was a bad idea and that guy i mean he something was about him but you know what i don't know i mean we saw a lot of miracles Maybe there was parlor tricks. Dude, maybe Jesus was tricking us. Dude, he had to be questioning everything. Maybe you don't think so. I, I would have been. It didn't work out, right? I've seen 
multiple people do this exact same thing over and over again. Right? They get saved, have some crazy experience, maybe go on a mission trip, see some comebacks, and this supernatural thing happened right before my eyes, and then five years later aren't Christians. Because life didn't go the way they wanted it, marriage didn't work out, whatever. Something happened and they bail. And I ask, I ask them, when I hang out with them, I have a lot of friends that aren't Christians anymore. A lot of friends, right? And I ask, I say, hey man, so I know you're not following Jesus, you don't subscribe to that stuff anymore, whatever. What do you make of all the stuff that happened in your life? Like, what do you make of the experiences that you had? Remember that one time you told me about that crazy experience? Like, how do you interpret that now? And you know what they do? They rationalize it all. They say, they reinterpret the experience. They say, well, I think I was just imagining things. I was emotional. They chalk it up to peer pressure, right? Like God could have done supernatural things, but now they reinterpret, reinterpret it. I've just, I've just watched it. I've just listened to it, right? They're doing exactly what Thomas was doing, thinking through these things. That, I don't know, you know, what happens when we hit disappointment or anxiety or loss? What happens, y'all? It shakes us. It makes us doubt our own experiences, and we start questioning even our own experiences, thinking, well, maybe it was all made up, right? Do these kind of events, these kind of like traumatic, violent events like this, y'all, they color the rest of our lives. Hello? Do they not? Yes, they do. Like, have you guys seen this man called Otto movie? Anyone? Tom Hanks? Okay, you seen it? I've not seen it because I cried when I watched the trailer. So, so I was like, no, let's watch Hunger Games instead. But apparently this movie, a man called Otto, is about a man whose wife dies and his entire life is under the cloud of grief for years and years and years. No joy, no life, no love. The sadness and the disappointment and the loss became the glasses by which he interpreted the entire world. And it made everything five shades darker, right? Sadness and disappointment, right? It colored everything. So here's Thomas reasonable, respectable Thomas, who at the idea of the resurrected Christ, the idea, stay with me, of hope being restored. The idea of joy. Hey, hey, right here. The idea of joy flooding into your life says, nah, not even going to entertain it. The idea of being a person full of hope. Nah, he's indignant. He's indignant. He said, all y'all are smoking something. Listen, we're about to dunk people. It's going to be awesome. All right, we're, gonna, we're coming. We're going to make time to pray for you. But listen, in Thomas, we are seeing a condensed symbol of many of our entire lives, which is this. We find in our hearts an unscalable wall of doubt and skepticism to believe in the trustworthiness of God, not because of historical evidence or biblical evidence, but because you got a raw deal in life. You say the cards were stacked against me, bro. How are you gonna expect me to leave in the goodness of God? Because your family of origin, because of this or that horrible thing that happened to you, for whatever reason, your youthful, bright hope for life and joy and happiness was snuffed out with or without your permission. Maybe your suffering was inflicted on you by someone else. Maybe it's because of your own sins. Maybe just time and drudgery slowly drained the color of life off the pages. And you find yourself here today completely vacant of any semblance of joy. See, it primarily manifests itself in misery, the loss of hope. 
loss of hope will primarily manifest itself in your life by lack of joy. And here Thomas is at the promise of joy again. And he is indignant. Don't give me reason to hope again, bro. I just did that and it didn't work out. And some of us are in this room today and you are not willing to believe in the goodness of God because you tried it once and it didn't work out. Or, you know, that thing happened to you 15 years ago and you've never been able to forgive God. You know what God did? You know what Jesus did to meet Thomas? You know what he did? In other places, uh, Jesus rebukes his disciples and is frustrated with their lack of faith. Not here. You know what Jesus does? He gently gives Thomas exactly what he wanted. He gives him the evidence. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And I think Jesus would look at many of us who have past wounds, wounds that have maybe festered your entire life. Can I just say to you, the wounds that have caused you to be the kind of lack of joy person you are today breaks the heart of God. Evil done against you by evil men, and it breaks God's heart. And instead, of, if you're in that position today, if you're like, man, I can't buy this, dude. I'm not going to get in on this. I'm not, I can't be joyful. I can't be a person of faith. You know what God does? You know how he meets you? He doesn't come to you and demand faith from you. He doesn't come to you and, and, and reprimand you. You know what he does? He sympathizes with you. He says to you, I've got wounds too, man. Evil men had their way with me too. Scars, y'all, they represent us at our weakest. They remind us of our vulnerability. And what does he do to Thomas? He holds up his scars. He shows him his wounds. He invites Thomas to see his wounds that he was willing to endure. He invites Thomas to meditate on the vulnerability that he endured so that we wouldn't have to, right? Despite whatever trauma or doubt or past experiences would try to convince you that God doesn't love you and he can't use you, Jesus says the scars speak for themselves. And no matter what evidence you're pointing to as to why you can't be joyful, as to why you can't be a Christian, he says, look at the scars. Touch them. Explore them. Feel them. I think God is inviting us to sit with us today. Scars and all. He wants you to pull back the cover and invite him to the wounded places of your heart. Not the places where you got it figured out. Man, he's the, he's the great physician, man. Who needs doctors? Sick people. Yes, yeah, some of us don't think you need Jesus because you don't think you're sick. Some of us know we're sick. And God is saying right now, invite me into the sickness, bro. Quit hiding from me. He comes to us, y'all, full of compassion. And he says, I know it hurts. I've, I know what it's like to walk through a sinful world. See? I've been there. Now, will you trust me? Will you trust me with the wounds? Will you trust me to heal those places that nothing else can heal in your heart? I heard one pastor say, God can't transform who you pretend to be. He can only transform who you really are. Thomas brought the real him into the convo. And I think the invitation to you today is bring the real you. Quit pretending. Quit acting like things are fine when they're, not, when they're not and bring the reality of your life before God. And you're going to have a chance to do that today. But you know what we're going to do first? We're going to dunk people. So if you are getting baptized, come on up. Uh, man, what does all of this mean to you guys? As y'all wake your way up, I just want to 
talk for a second. You know, you guys are stepping into newness of life, newness of commitment, new bright vision. Y'all come up here on the stage. Turn the lights on for us, guys. What, what does all this mean for you guys today? Um, I think it means that while you're starting something new, while, while you guys are making a commitment to start a new uh, life of Jesus and a life of faith, that will not be absent of doubt and uncertainty. I think that's what maybe you guys can take away from this today. Um, others will fail you. Churches will fail you. Pastors will fail you. You will even fail you. But the confidence we have as Christians is that our faith is not in faith. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in Jesus. And our confidence as Christians is that he is strong when we are weak. In fact, there's a scripture that talks about, hey, even if we're faithless, even if we fail miserably, he will remain faithful because he cannot deny his own character. And I think that's what you guys can sit with today. I think that's what we can all rejoice in, even us who aren't getting baptized, uh, that our faith is in a God who is strong even when we're weak. So let's introduce everyone. I'm going to pass the mic. And you guys, we're good? Say nice and loud. Say your name into the mic for us. Joy. Joy. Emily. Emily. Bella. Bella. I'm Jim. Eva. Peyton. Susan. Abby. Brayden. Ellie. Ellie. Oh, look how many. There's like 11 people up here or something. It's awesome. Okay, guys. This is what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to ask you all some questions. Okay? Uh, the first three... Good job, guys. You made it. Well done. Um, this is my invitation for you right now. Um, if you're in this room and uh, there is no joy in your life, like decidedly, like Christian or not, I don't care what you call yourself, but you got no joy in your life. In fact, you've been angry this whole morning. You're like, yeah, I don't buy any of this. You're full of anger. Angry at God. Maybe you're angry at people in your life. You're just angry, and you can deal with that right now. So I just want to invite you, if you want to deal with the lack of joy in your life today and ask God into that, you can, we got awesome people who love to pray with you up here. And here's the other thing. Some of you in this room have been saying no to God your whole life, and you're tired of it, and you're ready to say yes to Him. You want to say yes to God right now. You want to invite Him in. Dude, you can do it. Come up here. Let us pray for you. And we'll, step, we'll walk with you into what life with Jesus looks like. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much that you've called us into something so much larger than our own lives, larger than our time, larger than our culture, larger than our nation. Um, God, larger than anything we've ever experienced. God, your work in the earth, redeeming all things, making all things new. We're unworthy of the task, Jesus. Make us worthy. Help us say yes to you in the places that matter. God, help us take stands and have convictions in our hearts about what matters in life and walk the line. Have mercy on us, God. Make us real Christians. We love you, God. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for coming today. Again, if we can pray for you for anything, come on up. We'll see you next time.